Good to be back in the pulpit. We're in Luke chapter 20. Jesus has just taught a parable that was incredibly adversarial to the religious leaders. He basically told them, you're the enemies of God. He just came right out. You're the enemies of God. Not, sometimes your teaching's a little off. You are the enemies of God. No, 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 no. We're, we're the spokesmen for God. We're the shepherds of Israel. We're the good people. We're the righteous people. No, 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 and no. In fact, you're not, you're not even close. You're so far away from what you think you are, you're the enemies of God. And the proof was God showed up in the person of Jesus Christ, and they didn't recognize it. And disagreed with everything he said. And so that's where we need to search our own hearts this morning and say, where do we not recognize God when he shows up? Because we're pretty sure we know how to run everything and how to fix everything. And we think we have all the answers. And so when we sit under the preaching of God's word, if God's word's handled correctly, it's no different than the encounter the religious leaders had with Jesus right now. We're having an encounter with God. Inasmuch as I preach the Word of God and interpret it correctly, this is why we sit under preaching. We're having an encounter with God Most High, and how will we respond? Like the religious leaders? I don't need to hear this. Or are we going to be humble and teachable? So the title of the sermon this morning is Asking God a Question When You're Not Interested in the Answer. Right? Asking God a question when you're not interested in the answer because you already have the answer in your mind and you're just waiting for God to, to tell you what you already know. Or you have some other ulterior motive like the religious leader. So let's go to the scriptures and see the scene unfold before us. Luke 20, verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour and they feared the people For they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. They questioned him saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and you are not partial to any but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Yes or no? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Which at least is an improvement over their normal state of affairs. So they asked a question about taxes. And often this sermon is preached as a sermon on taxes. Which is a scary subject. In politics, we have what's called the third rail topics. So in the subway system, there's, there's the two rails, and then the third rail is electrified, and you don't touch the third rail. I mean, I don't live in New York or Chicago, and I know don't touch the third rail. So if I'm ever in a subway tunnel, I will stay away from the third rail. But it's become a metaphor for any topic that is so controversial that it's best to just stay away from it. Taxes, border walls, Uh, yeah, (laughs) social security, Mm, don't touch it, it, it'll kill your political career, unfunded California state pension liabilities, whoa, hey, like 80% of the room, here's a state employee, and I know where my dinner comes from, (laughs) so You end up not talking about these things because what ends up happening? They're complicated and it takes nuance and 
humility, but instead you get a sound bite, and then it's played over and over and over again on, on the news. And so politicians just don't touch these topics. Unless you're President Trump, and then you tweet about him, right? And like, I don't care. I just don't care. I'm just, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, uh, which is in some ways refreshing. You know, just look, if no one's going to talk about these things, the problem's not going to go away. So taxes, imagine that, back then, nothing new under the sun, was the big third rail issue. Taxes are a complicated subject, which always leads to controversial conversations. Especially um, when your money's involved, right? (laughs) Well, you talk about that, that, and that, but now we're talking about my money. And shame on us that we only get fired up when it's about our money. I just, like, why don't we talk more in our culture about human trafficking? Like, it goes on all around. It goes on in Bakersfield. You know, but, hey, they're going to raise their tax. Oh, that's, that, we've gone too far. Right? Obviously, we need to pool our money to run a society, so we can't get rid of taxes, although there's some that take that stance. Every once in a while, we get like an extreme libertarian passing through the church. Oh, taxes are evil, and I'm not going to fund, uh, you know, the government machinations. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, well, then get off the roads, and pull your kid out of public school, and don't call the police or fire when you need help. Well, that's different. You're like, okay. Likewise, you all just gave sacrificially, you know. It's not a tax because you gave it freely. But it's the same concept, like you like the building. Who likes the air conditioning? (laughs) It takes money. But the question becomes how much and what should we spend it on? That's where the fireworks start. And the more you have a say in it, the better you feel about the way it's being spent. And so we just celebrated Independence Day, right? It's not the whole story of Independence Day, but a big part of the story is enough to pass your history quiz, no taxation without representation, right? So living under the rule of the British Empire has and had its privileges they kept the peace and built roads and kept shipping lanes open. But pretty soon they start taking too much. And you have no say in how it's spent. And eventually there's a tipping point and something has to be done. And that happens, yes, in, in churches and even in your own home. I bet you've gotten to some pretty good discussions with your spouse about how the money should be spent. You know... They're pretty much in agreement over we need a house and maybe some food, some transportation, and then it gets pretty tricky after that. So we should only expect that the bigger the system gets, the bigger the community gets, the more complicated the issue becomes. But no matter how complicated the issue is, it all goes back to the same root, the heart A heart that thinks, I know how to run everything. I know the best way to spend the money. I have a perfect system in place to bring order out of chaos. And then the feud begins. So it's a topic that requires a lot of humility and a lot of wisdom and a lot of give and take and compromise. And God has set it up that way for a reason. And when we're not humble, we start to tear each other apart through our pride. And we start pointing fingers and they're spending too much and they're taking too much and I don't like what they're spending it on. And So our founding fathers were wise and they said, well, let's try to make government as limited as possible and, and just pay for the absolute necessities. But it's funny how we'll all redefine absolute necessity. And of course, those who are in charge of spending the money 
no matter how good you are and how noble-hearted you are, we're all sinners and we're all tempted by that kind of power and that kind of money. And so the people in charge start to say, well, I need a little more than you need if I'm going to be handling the responsibility of spending all of this money. And so those collecting the taxes and spending the taxes end up living better than everybody else. And then we all get angry. So things tend to work best when systems are small and you and I need each other and there's checks and balances like, like our church. Like we have, we have a deal, a, a covenant. I, I will be your pastor, but so that I'm not using all my time and energy on a secular job, like I could teach math full time, I have a credential, I, I, I did have a real job, you know. <laughs> Before I was a pastor, we've decided probably be better if some of our people could devote themselves full time to shepherding the flock. And so you put some money in the plate, and I put some in too, because I'm just like you. We're we're all God's people. Although it's weird sometimes. You're like, I'm putting it in the plate. It's going to come right back around, you know. But you don't question God's wisdom. You obey him and you trust him that this, this is the way it needs to happen. And then so there's checks and balances because I'm like, man, look at these people giving sacrificially so my family can live. I'm not going to take advantage of that. And then when it comes time to talk about raises, paid pastors step out of the room and the lay elders make those decisions. And, and so we've, we've got this good system. And we have our annual meeting. And we go, well, okay, what are we spending the money on this year? And we, and we present the budget. And I don't know if you know this, but most churches don't actually put the, their pastor salaries in the budget. They keep it private. But we're very, uh, very transparent <laughs> about such things. And that's a good thing. And it keeps my family humble. And some might say, I think he's paid too much. And some might say, I don't think he's paid, uh, you know, uh, enough. And, uh, and good and godly, humble people come together and we discuss these things. And that's the way God intended it. And as long as we all say, anyone who thinks they've got the perfect system down, you can leave the room. <laughs> Those people become the fascists. The dictators. You know, the people are like, I've got it all figured out. That's the last person on this planet you want running the show. Well, as much as we don't like paying taxes, I mean, we're Californians. It's like, now what? They're, they're taxing the air. <laughs> I got an amen, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, hold on to my wallet. We ha- it's nothing compared to what our founding fathers had to put up with. And and what they put up with is nothing like what Israel had to put up with. Let me just put this into perspective. Think about the circumstances surrounding Jesus's birth. Could you imagine the government telling you to take your very pregnant wife on a long journey for the sake of being registered just so you can be taxed more. I mean, how infuriating would that be and cruel and cold? And this is how Rome kept conquered nations subjected, taxing them to the point where they just had enough to survive. Just keep them right at subsistence level so they can't amass an army against us and they don't have time to meet and conspire because I'm just trying to get bread on the table today. And even more nefarious, hey, let's have their own people collect the taxes from them. You're like, well, what if no one volunteers? Oh, someone will always volunteer for the dirty job if it pays a little more. 
And so the tax collectors became social pariahs and, and, and people hated them and your turncoats and your traitors. And and there were uprisings and Rome would crush those uprisings. Eventually it got so bad, Israel really tried to rebel and Rome just crushed them in A.D. 70. Just annihilated, like, like slaughtered like two million Jews in Jerusalem and, and, and tore the temple down and burned it. And, it, you know, it was horrible. And we, and we understand whoever has the power to tax has the power to destroy. I've been reading some stories about people who've been sued by our federal government and they're trying to... How, how, do, you, how do you fight against the federal government? They've they got endless res- They have your resources, you know, they're using your tax money to, you know, and that's so sad because what is the government made up of? Fellow citizens. And now we're saying them. And when that starts to happen in churches or in your home, you know you have a problem where it's, well, those people. Well, wait a minute. Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know. Those people in charge of everything. Those people on the elder board. Those people, you know. Like, wait a minute, you're those people. And so we have, to, we have to be careful and on guard. That's how Satan gets in and divides. And so this was a controversial topic. And the religious leaders conspired together to try to trap Jesus by asking him a question that re- required a complicated answer, but they wanted the yes-no answer to trap him if he says yes you have to pay taxes to caesar the people are going to hate him if he says no they're going to run to pontius pilate and tattle on him oh he's an insurrectionist he's a rebel throw him in jail so there there's the context there's the background but this is not a sermon about taxes it's a sermon about asking disingenuous questions of God which we do all the time and we don't even know we're doing it and by the end of the sermon I'll show you where we tend to do it so what's going on here remember Jesus now has told the religious leaders you're the enemies of God and he's been alluding to it and we we didn't notice because we don't know our Bibles as well as we think yeah me included like It's why we like study and read commentaries and go, oh, is that what was going on there? Remember when Jesus in the triumphal entry came in and they were shouting Hosanna and and, and they they were using messianic titles and the religious leaders said, Rabbi, tell your people to shut up. They're they're being blasphemous. And what does Jesus say to them? Hey, if they don't, then the rock's... And trees, right? Well, shout out. He also, in Matthew's gospel, we see that he quotes Psalm 8, 2. All right? So, let me go to Psalm 8. And I don't have a slide for it, but if you want to turn to Psalm 8. See, the way rabbis would argue with one another is because everybody knew Scripture so well in this society. Remember, every young Jewish kid would have to study the first five books of the Old Testament. And many had it memorized completely. I mean, you think our Awana kids are amazing? No, they got nothing on these little Jewish kids who had the Torah memorized. Word perfect. And then they would move on to the other books of the Bible, the wisdom literature, the prophets, and the, the, the Psalms. And so... A rabbi would quote the first half of a verse and everybody would know the second half. And it was like, oh, he did not just throw Psalm 8-2 at us. Oh, yes, he did. Listen to what Psalm 8-2 says. So Jesus quotes this part out loud for everyone to hear right after the religious leaders say, hey, you need to shut your people up. He says... From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Oh, okay, we've all heard that. 
And we quote it sometimes, right? That's like a, a cultural Christian euphemism. Out of the mouths of nursing babes. That's where that comes from. But more is going on there than you realize, and, and I realized until I was studying this this week. The second half of that verse says this. Because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Whoa. He just publicly called them the enemies of God. And they knew it. And if they didn't know it after the parable we heard last week, they surely knew it. He tells a story about a vineyard, which they were all like, well, we know Israel's the vineyard. Because they know their Old Testament and vineyard is a metaphor for Israel. And God's the vine keeper who planted the vineyard. And then he sent his slaves to go collect the money from the tenants. Those are the prophets. And they beat the snot out of the prophets. Because that's what people did to the prophets in Israel's history. They didn't want to hear what God had to say. So finally, after three slaves get beat up, he sends his son. Surely, they'll listen to my son. And they kill him. Say, if we kill him, we can also take his inheritance. And they knew he was talking about them. So now, the gloves are completely off. You are the enemies of God. It's not that you just need a little correction You are the enemies of God. And instead of repenting, or at least saying, hey, maybe this miracle worker knows what he's talking about. I mean, he casts out demons, he heals the sick, he he walks on water, he calms storms, he raises the dead to life. Maybe we ought to listen to him. But not the party of, we're the experts, we're never wrong, we know God. We, we're his spokesman. And then God shows up and, the, and they didn't recognize him. So Jesus knows, I can't reason with these guys. I can't reason with them, so I'm not going to reason with them anymore. It's time for judgment. It's time for judgment. So the scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, but they couldn't because he was too popular. And in God's sovereignty, it wasn't time yet. Think of all the times earlier in his ministry that they tried to apprehend him and he got out of their clutches. So Jesus is in complete control of the situation, even his own death. It's happening according to the timeline the Trinity set out before the foundations of the earth. And they feared the people. So, I mean, they could have just grabbed him, but then all the people would have come to Jesus' rescue because he's the most celebrated man in Israel at the time. So they feared the people. And they understood that he spoke this parable against them, so they have this... This problem. They're like, we hate this guy. He's making us look foolish. He's going to ruin our whole system that keeps us rich and powerful and important. But we can't just grab him because the people love him. So we need to discredit him in the face of the people. Get him to make some kind of misstatement, some kind of sound bite that we can play on an endless loop during some ad campaign on the TV, right? You get the, you get the picture. It's like, no, that's not what he, that's not what I said. Oh, that's what you said. We were there. Everybody heard it. You said you have to pay taxes to Caesar. Yeah, but I also said, uh, uh, uh. So that's what they were looking for. So, so they conspire They watch him. They're kind of watching his moves and trying to figure out the best place to trap him. And they sent spies who pretended to be righteous. or They they pretended to be disciples who were interested in what God had to say. So Jesus would let down his guard. You know. Oh, good. 
the good people who like me, you know. Remember uh, a number of years ago, Mitt Romney thought he was surrounded only by friends, and he's like, well, you know, 47% of people don't even pay taxes, and boop, a spy was in the room and recorded it, and it, it upended his campaign. Mitt Romney doesn't care about the poor. Whatever you want to say about him, I think he was probably one of the most decent men who've ever run for, for office, in my opinion. And they, they just threw him under the bus. Just looking for a sound bite. Well, can we hear the rest of the speech he gave? Nope. Just, just that one little part. So that's what they're looking for. Isn't it interesting that hatred will make for strange bedfellows? I mean, you need to understand that these people all hated each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the scribes didn't really like each other. The Pharisees were like the populist, grassroots synagogue leaders. They detested the ruling elite. The Sadducees were the ruling elite. They made up most of the Sanhedrin, the 70 men who were like the Supreme Court of Israel. The Herodians didn't like either of them. They were like, hey, if you can't beat Herod, join him and get a cushy government position and get invited to all the A-list parties. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't stand the Herodians. And nobody liked the scribes because they were lawyers. But somehow they all got together because they all had a common enemy. God. That's, that's sad. We got to get rid of this guy. Beautiful showed up and, and we have to get rid of beautiful. Wisdom showed up and we, had to, we have to get rid of wisdom. Somebody who actually has authority showed up. We, we must get rid of him. And so they conspire and plot against him. And you realize that once they kill him, they'll go back to like fighting. You know, like one of the great political questions of our time is, how, how do American Jews hate Israel but love terrorist organizations? You're like, I don't, I don't even know, it doesn't even compute until someone explained it to me and said, oh, I think it was Ben Shapiro. Oh, you have to understand, right now, whoever has achieved is the enemy. Because you must have achieved by stepping on someone else's back. Once you get rid of the achievers, those two groups will hate each other again. Oh. So the people who think they're victims pick a common oppressor to hate until they get rid of the common oppressor. Then they look at each other and go, well, now you're the oppressor. No, you're the oppressor. And that's, that's human nature. So they need to get rid of the oppressor. How sad that they think God is the oppressor. They had God right in front of them. Could you imagine just an hour with God incarnate? What, what would you ask? I don't know. I guess that's what that song I could only imagine is about. I don't know. Would I fall down on my face? Would I dance? Would I just kiss him? Skip knows. <laughs> They probably cooked him a meal. Yeah. <laughs> They're barbecuing. They, they wasted it. They had Jesus right there. They, they could have. Oh. This is a sad thing when you who have Christ in you. You have Christ in you and, you, and you go and try to share Christ with someone. They're, they're having an encounter with Christ. Not that you're Christ, but when people say, ah, I want to hear about your Jesus. Oh, you don't know what you had in front of you. You don't know what you had in front of you. So the co-conspirators, they, uh, they, they set a trap. And they bait it with flattery. Like Jesus is going to fall for flattery. Come on. But they would. So they assume he would. 
oh, teacher, we know you teach nothing but truth and you're no respecter of man and we're just here to humbly learn from you. Remember when Jesus asked them the question about John the Baptist and and they got caught on the horns of a dilemma? They thought they were doing the same thing to him. Right? Because Jesus said, hey, let me ask you guys a question. John's baptism, is it from God or is it from man? And they're like, oh, no. Gosh, if if we say it's from God, he's going to say, well, then why didn't you get baptized? A bunch of sinners. And if we we say, well, it's, it's just from man then the people are going to kill us because they recognize John as a prophet. So it's, it's a no-win. So what do they say? We don't know. Like your kids say to you. and I don't know. You know. You just don't like either of the answers. Just humble yourself. It's okay. We already know. We just want to hear you say it. And so they're like, ooh, that, that, that was good. We could come up with one of those questions and trap him in front of the people. Okay, what's a controversial topic no one can really give a good answer to? Taxes. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? If he says yes, the people are going to hate him. If he says no, he's in trouble with Caesar. We got him. We got him. Oh, we're going to win an argument with wisdom incarnate. Come on, people. Oh, when pride doubles down like that. You know, there's that moment of truth when finally your friends confront you with the error of your ways. And it's that moment where you can either go, maybe they have a point. Or you could say, no, they're ganging up on me. Or, no, they just don't see it. What, all 53 of them? You know, like how many is it going to take to tell you the same thing over and over before you're like, huh, maybe I'm missing something here. And that was these guys. We're not missing anything. He's missing. So we're going we're gonna to catch him in this trap. It's fools. Heaven forbid, we should be foolish. Come to Jesus with questions that we really don't want to hear his answer to. Now, taxes are a complicated subject, and under other circumstances, it would be a great question. So, uh, you know, Jesus, help me with this tax thing, because it really bothers me. Does it bother you that our taxes, like, support Planned Parenthood? Breaks my heart. And other things. And you've got your list and I've got mine. You know, but I see how much good my taxes go to as as well. So it's this dilemma. And it's complicated. And there aren't any easy answers. And you've got to go with humility before the Lord and say, help me figure this out. Not, should I pay taxes or not? You know, people come to pastors all the time with those kinds of questions. And smart pastors say... Well, tell me why you want to know. <laughs> you know, what do you think? Like, what's the motivation of your heart? You know, is, is, is it a good motivation? Or are you just looking for the, you know, faster? Should kids date or not? Pff, I ain't answering that. That's third rail right there. You know? Homeschool or private school or public school? <laughs> Why do you want to know? If you want to know because you're humble and you're honest and you want to please the Lord and do what's right, we could have a great conversation, but it's not going to be yes, no. If you're looking for a sound bite to go out and say, well, pastor said no. I did not. For the record. I have opinions that I think are based in Scripture on all those subjects. And then I live some life. (laughs) And the opinions change. The Scripture didn't. But God humbled me. And I got a little less dogmatic about the way I felt when things 
were simpler. They just weren't. I was just ignorant. So you understand, I, I hope. But we do have answers to these questions. It's not like we're going to go around saying, well, we just, yeah, we don't. We don't know. You know, and, and the answer could be different depending on the situation. It's not like a situational ethic kind of thing. It's not like I'm trying to get out of obeying God's law. But if you ask me, should kids date? Which kid? Right? And the same with with schools and the same with all these controversial topics. It depends. Which is usually what your kids say when they don't want to answer a simple yes-no question. Well, it depends. But these are questions that it depends is the right answer. So they can't. They're not going to catch Jesus in a trap. So Jesus answers without a yes-no answer. And he says, show me a denarius. A denarius was a, 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 they say, about a day's wages. So a, a pretty big sum of money, especially for someone who's poor. And that's how much the poll tax was. The poll tax was the most hated tax in all of Israel because it was the tax... That Rome just said, doesn't matter what, you're just paying this. On top of all the other things we tax. But just to get things started, everybody's paying this. And they had no say in how the money was spent. And to make things worse, on the denarius is a picture of Caesar with the inscription that Caesar is a god. And that was detestable to the Jew. As it would be detestable to you as well. But even more so for these monotheists. Because one of the commandments is you shall have no other gods before me, right? And you shall make no graven images. And I'm using the NASB here. And it says, Jesus said, whose likeness is on this? But that word likeness in the Greek is icon. Icon. Whose image? You say, well, these people who know the word of God, where would they know the word icon from? And you have to understand that they all used the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament. It was called the Septuagint. Because Greek became the language of the day. And where is the first place in the Bible that the word image comes to mind? You are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make man in our icon, in our image. Male and female, he created them. We are created in God's image. And then the next place it comes to mind is in the Ten Commandments. You shall make no graven image. Because what does God look like? I don't know. Good, then don't make a picture of him. Because whatever you make ain't him. And so Paul says in Romans 1, professing to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the image of the invisible God for images of man and beasts and even creepy crawly things. Because man, once you go down that path, will make a God out of anything. Right? Golden calf. You name it. And we'll start worshiping things that aren't God and we'll worship things that can't speak in order to make them speak, we'll put the words in their mouth. So now we're just worshiping ourselves. So this is dangerous business, making an image of God. So what is Jesus' point? Look, who owns that coin? Caesar. It's his coin. He's in charge of the government. He's in charge of the monetary system. He put his image on it. If he wants some of it back... Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But render to God what is God's. Well, where is his image? It's stamped on us. And what does Colossians say about Jesus Christ? He is the icon of the invisible God. 
So we have the image of God imprinted on us, and Jesus is the visible image of God. He owns us. Render to Jesus what is Jesus's. Render to God what is God's. Yet Caesar may have some authority. And from a human perspective, he had a lot of authority. But compared to God, he's got nothing. And in fact, his authority comes from God. And when God wants to take it away from him, he will. And he'll give it to someone else. And that's how human rule works. One day you're in charge, the next day you're not. God's image. Go to the passage in your Bible that describes Jesus' physical image. (laughs) Closest thing we get is Isaiah 53. Right? The suffering servant, he had no stately form. There was nothing about his physical image that would make us go, oh yeah, put him in charge. But it was everything about him on the inside. And we're supposed to be what? Paul says in Romans 8. Made into the image of God. Become like Jesus' inside. We spend so much time and money trying to make the outside look good. Can you imagine if we invested that much time and money on the inside? And so... What a great answer. They got him out of the trap, but it's the right answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Look, God put human governments in place for a reason. You like the roads. You like to be able to buy, sell, and trade and and know that pirates aren't going to capture your ship. All these things cost money and administration and management and layers of bureaucracy. And I know it makes us all sick but it's necessary so the answer is designed to foil their plot but it's also an honest answer by the way later in Luke 23 2 we see that they lie and accuse him of saying that you don't have to pay taxes to Caesar so even though he gave like the world's greatest answer, they're just going to lie and put the answer in his mouth they wanted to. But if you're wondering, do we have to pay taxes, just think through it. God is sovereign over human governments. He's instituted them to keep order in society. Paul says it's a good thing. It's better than chaos and anarchy. God knows what's going on. It takes money to finance government, so some form of taxation is necessary. But since money and power tempt sinful people towards corruption, limited government seems to be preferable. That's some wisdom from our founding fathers that they drew from from the Bible, and I, I would agree with that. How limited? That's a complicated argument. And the bigger the society, the bigger the system gets, the more complicated it has to get. Praise God, he's given us the intelligence to have dominion over his creation and put together these societies. It's when we lose sight of the fact that God is in control of everything that societies get themselves into trouble. Look at the Tower of Babel. Hey, we don't need God. We'll, we'll make our own tower and exalt man. Ideally, we prefer to give money to governments that fear and obey God, but that's not always possible. So that's like the next question everyone has. So do we have to pay taxes to a government that's hostile to God? We must submit to ruling authorities, right? We, we, we agree there, Romans 13. While peacefully attempting to influence the government with the gospel. That's what Paul did. Try to get the people in charge... To hear the gospel and they get saved and and then that changes everything about the way they govern. At the same time, we cannot disobey God if government ever tells us to do something that is in direct opposition to God. Like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, I will not bow down to this idol, even if it costs me my life. We, we, We cannot disobey 
God. So there may come a time when the people must resist the government through peaceful protest or even sometimes force, and that's where good and godly Christians will disagree. Like, well, is it now? And, you know, you got those people that are ready to, like, fight all the time. And then you have the people who are like, never. And somewhere in between is probably the right answer. And so we should be slow to resist earthly authority because we know it's from God. And always making sure we are first submitting to God. And I, th- I think that's Jesus' main point. Look, before you start complaining about submitting to earthly authorities, how are you doing with submitting to God's authority? Don't complain about submitting to earthly authorities if you're not submitting to God's authority. You are made in God's image, so you belong to God. Are you first submitting to God humbly before you begin asking questions about whether or not you have to submit to earthly authorities? Because if you're humbly submitting to God's authority, you'll be ready to have the right kind of conversations about, well, do I like the way my house is running? Let me have a conversation with my spouse. Do I like the way my church is running? I'm ready to have a conversation with the leaders. And so on and so on. But if if you're Mr. or Mrs., I don't like the way anything's run. I think I could do it better than anyone else. Then there's a pretty good chance that you don't even think God runs things well. And you don't want to be there, brothers and sisters. That's a dangerous, ugly place to be. So some questions then for reflection. We'll, we'll end here. Do you tend to be rebellious and avoid submitting to earthly authority? Like, are, are you that guy or that girl that's always got a problem with authority? Don't like the way things are being run. You go to church and worship, but then your favorite thing to do after church is go to lunch and complain about church. Right, you're going to come to VBS and be one of those people who, like, while it's going on, I'm like, why do they do this? Why do they do that? And you're like, can we can we just have a good week? And then you could come after with some suggestions, like, you know how hard it is to to run a VBS, and the people who have say, yes, I know, and it's hard to run organizations. It's easy to play armchair quarterback, but we've all done it. And we're all guilty of it. We need to repent of it. I'm not just saying that because I'm in charge of a little bit of stuff around here and i'm trying to like shield myself from criticism i'm just saying collectively we got to cut this out because it 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 tears apart and it keeps us from having the good conversations we need to have about the best way to move forward And, and when you don't like the way people are running things it's usually the rotten fruit of thinking too highly of yourself you know well, I would submit to authority as soon as I find one that's worthy of, yeah, give me a break. Do you tend to submit? You're like, no, I submit to authority. But if you look at your life a little more closely, you realize you only submit to the authorities that already do everything the way you like it. Right? And then, and then the minute they do something you don't like, we're out of here. They went with the brown carpet. We're We're gone. I'm not tithing anymore because this is not a good use of church money. There's, there's folks that, that, that don't give for that reason. They say, I'll decide how my money is spent for the kingdom. So I'll give to this thing or that thing or that thing because those are worthy causes. And I'm like, do you like the comfortable chair you're sitting in and the air conditioning that's cooling you off and... Oh, well, it's different. Well, where do you think the money comes from to pay for these things? And if you, if you really want to be a part of how the money is spent, then go through the process of serving. And when we see that you're, you're, you're searching God's word because you want to know what God has to say and you're discipling others and you're serving others and you're laying down your lives for others, someone might ask you to be an elder. But don't try to get on the elder board because you want to control how the money's spent. 
And finally, when do you ask God or others complicated questions expecting simple yes-no answers? Right? Probably there's something in your life right now that is very complicated and you don't want to deal with the complicated answer. Right? I went through some of those questions. Should kids date? Public school or private school? Should women work outside the home? People always want it to be a yes-no answer. Like, well, it's complicated. Where's your heart? Why do you want to know? Tithe or no tithe? Like, does it have to be 10%? You're not even ready for an answer. So don't say anywhere in the New Testament that it has to be 10%. Good, then give 15. (laughs) Be generous. Which staff position should be paid and which should be volunteer? How come I don't get paid? I work just as hard as... Gosh, we can't pay everybody. So we should pay nobody. Bye-bye, church. (laughs) It's complicated. Give grace. Be humble. God has cursed this planet to frustrate anyone who thinks they can turn the planet back into paradise. Because if we did, we wouldn't need God. It's meant to be frustrating on purpose. It's actually a grace of God that it's frustrating to make order out of chaos down here. It keeps us yearning for God. Oh, just come and fix it all, Jesus. Oh, dear Jesus, come Lord Jesus, fix it all. And you know what? The, The worst chaos in your life was your sin and the relationship with God that was broken because of it. And Jesus came and he made perfect order out of that chaos. Anytime you're struggling with this issue, look at the cross and go, oh sweet Jesus, you came and made perfect order out of the big mess I made. Thank you, Jesus. If you can handle that, you can take care of anything else. And then it puts everything in perspective. Hey, we can figure this marriage thing out with, with his help. We can, we can figure out the church thing. You know, we, we could do this. Maybe even figure out Tehachapi politics and eh, maybe state politics. And, you know, but start where it's most important. It's, have you trusted Jesus to take care of the chaos in your heart that you created with your own sin? Get right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and he'll help you order the rest of your life. Right? Because now you'll be humble and you won't pridefully think you can get it all figured out. Goodness, for thousands of years, people much smarter than you and I have been trying to figure it all out and they failed. So don't think you're going to fix it all today. And why would you even want that task? Oh, Where's my OCD friends? Where's my control freaks? Where are you? Oh, aren't you tired of trying to fix the whole world? Man, I'm I'm a confessing public control freak. And it's killing me. And so repent of it. And uh, we'll we'll figure it out together because God's got it all figured out already, right? Father, thank you that you have it all figured out. Forgive us when we think we know better than you and and we can make paradise out of a cursed planet. Also forgive us when we just throw up our hands and give up on this world you created, Lord. That's not the right tact either. Thank you, Jesus, for taking care of the worst chaos in our life. Knowing that we get to spend eternity with you in perfection. And we didn't have to do a single thing. You fixed it all. Thank you. May that give us rest and encouragement and inspiration and unity as a church. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.